Welcome to John Longwell Media. Creative multimedia including music, inspirational messages, and audio prose. Today's message is entitled, Exceedingly Abundantly, recorded on September 10th, 2017, at Revive Church in Rio Rancho, New Mexico, where John serves as a teaching pastor. I pray you will be blessed by the message as you listen. Here now is Pastor John Longwell. Good morning. All right, let's begin in prayer. See what God has for us today. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather to hear your word. Um, No other thing we can do that will transform us so much as to get into your word. And so, Father God, we come to you today with open hearts, open hands to what you would place into our, uh, our hearts and our minds. Lord, I pray that I would diminish, that your Holy Spirit would have free reign in this place today. And we just ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I almost feel like we should have a fire up here and I should have like a big armchair because the message I'm going to share to you is very close to my heart. I'm actually going to be talking about my life verse today. Now, if you don't know what a life verse is, sometimes when you're reading along in the Bible and you come to a certain verse and you're like, wow, it's like that verse was meant for me. It's like if I could have a bumper sticker of this verse, this would be the one. It's Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And I'm actually going to read verse 21 as well, because this ends chapter 3, so it just fits very well together. Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's a good verse. I think the reason why that verse really um, appealed to me is I'm kind of an eternal optimist by nature. An optimist is someone that if I were to fall off the Empire State Building, about 50 floors down I would go, so far so good. (laughs) The difference between a pessimist and an optimist is a pessimist says, things can't get any worse than this. Whereas an optimist says, sure they can. (laughs) So I want to go ahead and look at this particular verse in a couple of different translations of the Bible. Because as different verses are translated, they're translated a little bit differently, and it kind of gives you a fuller appreciation for how these, um, these verses come across. So the first one that I read to you is out of the New King James Version. This one is out of the um, English Standard Version. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, The New American Standard Bible, which was the very first Bible I had um, when I was a kid, it reads as this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Are you sensing a pattern here? The New International Version uh, reads as follows. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Whenever I read the New International Version, it's kind of funny. It reminds me, so I I memorized this scripture, um, Ephesians 3.20, a long time ago. But after I started reading different versions, I couldn't actually find the version that I had memorized. And then it finally came to me that I had actually kind of merged the New King James Version with the New International Version because I really liked the way it sounded. It had all of the right words. 
I don't think I'm breaking any theological laws by doing so because you, you still have the same essence, but it's really funny. I kept looking through all of these different versions. I'm like, the version I know isn't even a real version. So <laughs> now the New Revised Standard Version reads as this. Now to him, by the power at work within us, is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we ask or imagine. The New Living Translation says, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. And you can't have a version without having the big bouquet version, which is the Amplified Bible. Now to him who is able to carry out his purpose and do superabundantly more than all that we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes or dreams, according to his power that is at work within us. Now, the other thing that really appealed to me about this section of scripture, I was an English major when I first went to college. And so when I first saw Ephesians 3.20 and I saw those two words exceedingly abundantly together, I was like, wow, that, that kind of means something. In, in grammar, that's called a superlative. And a superlative is simply a word of high degree. You might see it in words like excellent or magnificent or marvelous. Those are all superlatives. So I want to do a real quick summary of all of the different versions that I just read to you, only reading the superlatives. And you'll, you'll catch it in just a second. Exceedingly abundantly above all, far more abundantly than all, do immeasurably more than all, accomplish abundantly far more than all, to accomplish infinitely more than, do superabundantly more than all that we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, or dreams. You see, this phrase, which we'll just summarize as exceedingly abundantly, comes from a Greek word, and pardon my pronunciation, huperic perisu, which is actually the highest form of comparison that, that even exists. So what this means is that we've literally ran out of ways to compare this. We've come to an end of our words and our definitions to describe how infinitely more than and beyond all measure God's abilities are in this particular situation. So I want to break down this word for you, huperic parasu. It actually is made up of three parts. The first part, huper, is actually, it means above, and it's actually from what we derive the word hyper. Now, when I was growing up, um, there was a term that moms used when their kids were very active. It was called hyperactive. We didn't have words like ADD, but um, kids that had lots of energy, the parents would say, oh yeah, he's just hyperactive. He just needs to, my mom said, he just needs to run out his beans. And so I didn't, so that's why I guess she fed me beans. But, um, and then the second part of that, so we have huper ek. Now ek is basically an intensification of the meaning. And in this, it actually means the idea of exhaustlessness. So now we add this, um, this idea of a hyperactive child, but now his beans are never going to round out. He's just going to keep running around and running around because he's never going to come to an end of that energy. And now the third part is where the real magic happens in this actual verse. It's parasu or parasos, which means exceeding some number or measure over and above more than necessary. More than necessary. In short, it means superabundantly, surpassingly, overwhelmingly, an extraordinary degree, 
involving a considerable excess over what would be expected. So let's put this in real simple terms. When I was growing up um, and I went to high school in junior high, they had a grading system which was based on the numerical system. And in the highest grade you could get the A plus was 4.0. And so that was what I was always striving to get. I always wanted to get that 4.0. And then I moved to New Mexico, and I realized that other schools had a different grading system where they had like the 4.2 and 4.3, and I was like, where was that? All of this extra credit I'm missing out on, I could have surpassed. So basically, when you succeed, you meet the goal that you set out to meet. But when you exceed, it means that you go far above and beyond that goal to something into another realm. And so that's exactly what we have here, is superabundantly, surpassingly, in Huperic Parasu. Now, if you ever needed to be reassured about something, if, if a person used the Huperic Parasu phraseology, that would certainly do the trick. It would be like the story of a group of villagers who were in the midst of a drought, and so they all prayed to God that God would send rain. And so the next day, they all go out to their fields, and we can tell the person that actually believed it was a little boy, he brought his umbrella. And so that's how we know that he truly believed that not only were their prayers going to be answered, but he was prepared to receive the answer for which he had prayed. Now, the Apostle Paul uses this um, particular superlative. And in fact, Bible commentary um, writers call this Paul's use of a super superlative in words of high degree, like awesome and wonderful. But it's actually only used three times in the New Testament. And I'd actually like to go over those three times. So you can kind of get a sense of how this word and its increasing abundance is seen in other parts of Scripture. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, it reads, For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? As we, night and day, keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. So as Paul is writing these letters to the Thessalonians, these letters are like, uh, they're like water. They're, they refresh their souls. And right here we see that, that Paul is expressing his desire to be with them. He says, as we night and day keep praying most earnestly, that we might see your face. It, it always reminds me of those, the, um, when the soldiers are coming home from, from overseas and you see the families there meeting them at the airport. That is a perfect example of someone most earnestly wanting to see that loved one that they've not seen. And so that's why Paul is saying, this is, this is a really intense kind of a feeling. They're really missing them. And another place that we see this word used is actually a little later on in 1 Thessalonians. In chapter 5, verse 13, it says, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. And the word here that uses that huperic parasu is, and that you esteem them very highly. Now, the reason why this is so important is because of the culture in which Christians are living in this day. So Christianity at this time in, in our world is, is a fairly new religion. And it has two marks. It's radical and it's revolutionary. It's radical because there's only one God. As we've been talking about um, God and, and, and what we believe, we, we know that 
in history, for most other religions, they worshipped other. They worshipped a multitude of God. It was a polytheistic kind of a religion, and so for someone to come on the scene and say, "No, there's only one God," and to then say that He's the only true God, basically saying that everything else that you've ever been taught is a lie and you need to leave it, that is that is a fairly radical thing to say, and we have to understand that. Back in those days, religion wasn't just something that was considered as an option. And I say that because in the day and age in which we live, it's, it's an option for people to get up and go to church on Saturday or Sunday morning or, or to even make that a priority. Religion doesn't have the same impact in our society as it did even 30 to 40 years ago. When President Kennedy was first um, elected president, it was amazing because he was one of the first Catholic presidents that was ever elected. And everybody's like, oh, there'll never be a Catholic president. And so it was revolutionary in that sense. But ever since then, we've kind of divorced the impact of religion within our society. But in this day and age in which Paul is preaching, you've got to understand that there wasn't a Christian church on every corner. They met in houses. And so for there to be these Christians that were providing instruction, it was a very valuable and a very treasured thing. And that's why he's, he's reminding them, he's encouraging them. And he says um, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in an ever-increasing manner. And then the last place that we see who Perak Parasu being used is, of course, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, which is what I had just read. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Now the reason why Paul used this particular phrase is because his mind was literally blown. His imagination was exceeded because of his answered prayers. You see, God had taken two seemingly irreconcilable groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, and he had united them together into a harmonious functioning family. Now, all we have to do is look at the different divisions within cultures and groups today, and we could say, would it really be possible for Muslims and Christians to be joined into some sort of unified harmony? We would say, ah, that that would probably never happen. But in that time in which they lived, that was the same kind of division that they were looking at. They're like, oh, Gentiles and Jews, because in all of the Old Testament, Even God himself would say, don't have anything to do with the Gentile nations. And he did it to keep the purity of the faith alive. Because all we have to do is look at all of the different kings who married from other cultures. Their hearts were pulled away. They would worship at the temple and at the feet of Baal. And they would basically, um, they would become unfaithful in their worship to God. And so that's why it was so important that that division be, um, be maintained. But now, Paul, who is a Jew, whose ministry first was to the Jews, was then given another ministry, which was to the Gentiles. And amazingly enough, that ministry to the Gentiles was successful, and it was f- flourishing, and it was prospering. And now, he was, God was simply saying, there's no longer Jews, there's no longer Gentiles, you now have one name, you are all Christians. And that, as we went through the history that Pastor Sean had shared um, last week, that is now what we are able to enjoy now as the Christian church. church. 
<clears throat> in, a, in chapter um, 3 of Ephesians, verse 6, Paul actually recounts this. He says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, I want to get into a couple of different examples of huperic parasu, that exceedingly abundantly idea in different parts of Scripture. Um, one of them, actually, Pastor Sean had shared about last week as he talked about David and Goliath. David believed in God's surpassing greatness in po and power to give him victory as he declared in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45. And he's actually speaking to the giant Goliath. He says, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. You see, David is actually a living example of Ephesians 3.20. He understands that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that he can ask or even think about. So much so that he doesn't just think about, he doesn't just act, he doesn't just ask, he acts upon it. He goes and he, he knows that as he's actually, it was kind of a side mission that came as he was delivering food to his brothers who were soldiers um, standing against the Philistines. And the, the, the setting that we have here is, it's basically a valley. We've got the Israelites on one side, you've got the Philistines on the other side, and there's a valley between them. And every day, Goliath would go down, and he would basically taunt the Israelites and say, come on, send down one of your soldiers. Let's, let's have this out, man to man. Whoever wins is, is declared the victor of this battle. And no one on the Israelite camp was brave enough to go down there. And so, of course, the taunts and the insults and the blasphemies of Goliath got worse and worse every day. And so David's in there carrying his basket of food to his brothers, and he's like, who's this heathen guy making all of these blasphemies and noise against our God? And David gets indignant, and he says, no, 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 this is not going to happen. And so he makes his intent that I'm going to go and I'm going to fight this, this Goliath. Well, Saul gets wind of that, so what does Saul do? He says, well, you're going to need some armor if you're going to go and fight this battle. So in the Bible, it says that Saul was head and shoulders above all of the other men around him. So I'm thinking he's at least a good 6'2 or taller. And so here we have David. He's a young kid, and he goes and he tries to put on Saul's armor. And it's like, all I can see is, you know, like when a little kid puts on dad's shirt and the shirt goes down to the ankles, and that's all you can really see is his arms sticking out. He's like, this is not going to fit. That's kind of what, that's kind of what David was like wearing Saul's armor. And so he said, no, 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 that's not going to work. I'm going to be clothed in the purpose, the mission, and the power, and in the greatness of my God. And so that's exactly what he does. He goes out there in full knowledge of the greatness and the ability of God. And we know the result is that he killed Goliath, he cut off his head, and the Israelites had victory over the Philistines on that day. Now, another great example of Huperic Parasu is in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verses 7 through 12. And um, I'll, I'll explain this, but I'd first like to read this scripture. It's about Solomon. On that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask, and that's an exclamation point, What shall I give you? And Solomon said to God, You have shown great mercy to David my father, 
and have made me king in his place. Now, O Lord God, let your promise to David my father be established, for you have made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Now give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people, for who can judge this great people of yours? Then God said to Solomon, because this was your heart, and you have not asked riches or wealth or honor or the life of your enemies, nor have you asked long life, but have asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may judge my people over whom I made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have had who were before you, nor shall any after you have like. So God's answer to Solomon was huperic perisu in action. God gave Solomon exceedingly abundantly beyond what he asked for or even imagined. So here's the scene. And, and this particular section of scripture, I call my genie in the bottle section of scripture because it's like God is literally asking Solomon, whatever you want, I'm going to answer it. And I think about that and go, man, what, what, uh, I, can, you know, it's like the mind just kind of boggles. God is literally saying, whatever you're asking me, I'm going to give it to you. And so here Solomon is. He's a little bit of background on the history. So the Israelites... Um, under King David, they have basically conquered, their, and they're now ruling as the, is, is the Israelite empire. And now it's time to build the temple. And David very much wanted, King David very much wanted to build the temple, but God looked at David and he said, you know what, you're a man of blood, you're a man of war and battles. I need to have someone come in that can build the temple. That's, that's kind of like a, a clean sheet of paper. And so Solomon was then commissioned not only with building the temple, but now he's the first ruler of this established kingdom. And even as he says in this verse, your people are as the dust of the, of the, of the earth. They're, they're, they're such a multitude of people. And he's a, he's a young kid and he's a little bit overwhelmed, you can see, because God asks him, he says, what is it that you want? And all he humbly says is, I just want to be able to rule your people well. Please give me wisdom and give me knowledge on how to do that. And God is sitting up there. It's like God is sitting on the, the throne and all of the gifts are beside him. And he's like, wow. I, if there's one time in scripture that I, that I almost want to say God was surprised, I think this is it. And we know that he's not because he knows everything. But his response is so overwhelming. He's like, man, you picked the right response. You, you picked, it's humble, it's simple, it's practical, it's effective. But I'm going to give you everything else in, in abundance along with that. And so he gives him riches and he gives him wealth and fame and longevity. And we know that his wisdom was so renowned that even nations around them were like, no, nah, this has got to be a rumor. And so they would come and they would visit um, King Solomon and they would sit in his presence and they would view his riches and his wealth and, and they would walk away and go, you know what? I affirm that it's true. Everything that was ever said about Solomon is absolutely true. He is, he is God's abundant king. And so... That is God in action in uh, Solomon's situation right there. Now, as we conclude, I want to look at one other powerful word in my life verse. Um, now, to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask. And I want to look at that word ask. It's a very interesting word because the, uh, the connotation here in the Greek word is aeteo which means to ask for something with a sense of urgency, even to demand it. It has a sense of certain expectation, 
like you already hold, it's almost like you were given the receipt before you paid for something. And so it's like you, um, you're already holding your hand the receipt for what you're asking. And interestingly enough, the, the grammar of this, this ask is the middle voice, which means that it's asking a beho- um, basically on behalf of one's own self. It is on behalf of one's own interests. And I highlight that because many times in Scripture, I think we're somewhat reluctant to ask for things for ourselves because we're like, oh, well, no, that would be selfish of me. Um, we should, I should really have my prayers directed for other people and for other things. And yes, absolutely, that's the heart of God when we pray for other people. But I just read to you the Scripture in Solomon where God asked him, no, this is about you. What is it that you want me to do on behalf of you? And so we need to make sure that we understand that in the scripture, um, Ephesians 3.20, we now understand that God has an extremely abundant ability. The potential and his power is there. But if we don't ask, then we don't unlock that potential into our lives. And you see, David, that's why I gave you that example of David. David is the perfect example. It's like the mirror. Over here, we have God's ability. And over here, we have someone that is ready to receive the fullness of that ability. If we don't have those two working together, then all we have throughout our Christian walk is a lot of unused potential that never gets activated within our lives. I want to share a couple of things for why sometimes we don't see our prayers answered. The first one is simply this. We don't see our prayers answered because we don't pray. We don't ask. In James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, it says, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So essentially... We walk around and we have these desires, we have these wants, we have these things that we want to see happen. And so what do we do? We take manners into our own hands and then the old adage, if, if, you, if you want your results, do it your way. If you want God's results, do it God's way. The only way that you can get God results is to go to God. And that's why he says in this first part, he says, you desire and you don't have, so you take things into your, yourself. You murder, you covet, you fight, and you quarrel. He says, you don't have because you don't ask. Simply go to the Father. Ask of him. Let your needs be known, and then go from there. But then, of course, we have the disclaimer. You, you ask, and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I want to just lay this out there. It's, it's assumed, but I don't want to just assume it. It's a given that if we ask with corrupt motives, we won't receive. When we ask, it needs to be understood that we are seeking after God to follow His ways for our life. And when we're doing that, then whatever we ask, it comes out as a natural flow as our relationship with God. The second reason why we don't see our prayers answered is we don't believe, which essentially means we don't take hold of that huperic-parasu promise of God when we pray. You see, if we don't approach God with faith when we ask, why should we expect him to answer? Charles Spurgeon, Bible scholar, was approached by a pastor one day after his, his message, and uh, he said, you know what? I, I wonder why more people don't come up 
to get saved after I preach. And so Charles Spurgeon asked him, he says, well, do you expect that every time you preach, someone is going to get saved? And the guy kind of thought about it. You know, he didn't want to seem arrogant or overly proud. And so he said, well, no, not after every time I preach. And then Charles Spurgeon said, well, if you don't expect it every time you preach, why should anybody get saved? It's that if we don't have an expectation of God, why would God be obligated in any way to come through? If we don't believe to the degree that God wants to bless us, it's, it's that kind of a relationship. We, we're not called to have a passive relationship with God. We're not just to assume that he's going to do everything in our lives. He's called us to be very interactive. In fact, the very first relationship on earth with Adam and Eve, it's, to me it can be described as, and they walked with God in the cool of the day. And it's those types of, that's the kind of relationship that God wants us to have with him. Um, when I drive, I love to drive the back streets. In fact, um, when I used to live in Albuquerque, um, I could drive from this church to my house with hardly ever getting on any freeways at all, just going through the little back roads. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that I grew up in Iowa, and um, I, would, um, I would go to church sometimes at, in another town, and so what I would do is right after church, I would just pick a gravel road and I would head west, which is where I lived. And you, you can't get lost because you're going you're gonna to wind out, everything's on a grid, and so you just, but it was some of the most beautiful scenery and everything. And to this day, um, I work over at Rio Rancho Public Schools in their district office, and I have it down to where I can go through the, through the side streets as much as possible. And I do that for a reason. It's because I like to pray in the morning. And I don't like to be sitting at a stoplight talking and being animated and having the next person over in the car looking at me like, what's this crazy guy doing? It's, it's that time that I have with God. It's my time of interaction. And sometimes I'll even get to the point where I'm so restless in the day, I'm like, man, I need to go take a drive. I need to go, or, or right now, since it's beautiful, I'll go take a walk and just have that time of prayer. And I hope that you too, in your daily walk with God, get to that place where you need to run to your prayer closet and just have that conversation with God. It's kind of like, uh, we, it's, it's not like God's not up to date on what's going on in your life, but sometimes you have to get up to date on what's going on in your life. You have to hear from God. You have to express your heart to God. And that's what I mean by us getting to that place of interactively having that relationship with God. So I want to end with a couple of scriptures. One is in Hebrews 11, chapter 6. It says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now this phrase, diligently seek, the, the Greek word is exiteo. Now as we went through our huperic perisu and we broke it down to those three words, we have huper, ek, which is that in intensification. So we have that same Greek part of phrase here, ek, zeteo, in that phrase, he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek. And to diligently seek means to search for, to require, to demand. So it's almost in that same essence of, now Tim, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask. He's, you could almost say that the ask and to seek diligently are of that same kind of word because it, they have that sense of demand about them. They're saying, I'm, I'm seeking God and I'm going to find him. I'm resolute in this. There's no other outcome in my mind 
If you give me a multiple choice, there's only one answer, which is God. I am going to interact with him. And that is how God says that we are to, to ask of him. We must be convinced of God's ability and willingness to exceedingly and abundantly respond to us when we ask. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And so as I end today, I want to encourage you, one, if you're struggling to find something, we'll go ahead and have the worship team come back up. If you're struggling to overcome something, one, don't underestimate God's ability to move on your behalf. Okay, John, so I understand God's powerful and he's able to do this. But is he willing? I think that's where we get caught up is we have, maybe we have a relationship in our past where people haven't been dependable. We haven't been able to count upon them. And so we ascribe that same trait to God. What I want you to understand is that God's, who parapareso, his increasing, exceedingly abundant ability is also matched with his exceeding abundant desire to move on your behalf. You need to understand that. You need to hear that. And once you hear that, you then need to act upon that by simply asking God. And you need to ask him, not just with the, oh, please, God, but with a, with a sense of confidence, not that you're being presumptive. The scripture here is telling you this is the way in which you are to ask. As, as God asked Solomon, ask, what is it that you would require of me today? Ask, excl exclamation point. That's what God is telling you to do in your own prayer time. Ask, what is it that you require of me today? You don't see God moving in your, on your behalf because we lack that, that confidence and that faith. And after you've asked, believe. Believe for that outcome that God is going to move and give you exactly it is what you need. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord God, I thank you for the opportunity today to uh, give everybody a little bit of a glimpse into my life verse, into something that's been very meaningful to me. And I, I pray that as they're reading through scripture, that Father God, you would, you would cause something to zoom out to them too, that could be a verse they could latch on to. Lord God, we know that um, your word are, are not just these one-dimensional prints on a page, but Father God, they're living and active and they're able to transform and transcend the very lives in which we live to move us to a place that you want us to be, Father God, and to a place that really exhibits our heart's desire. So, Lord Jesus, give us a courage that we've not yet had as we pray. Give us a confidence, Lord Jesus, that comes from you, that's simply responding to you, almost like looking in a mirror and going, you know what, God, I want to walk with you in this amazing way that I've not yet even experienced or even, even knew that was possible. And so, Lord Jesus, I ask that um, as each of us um, has our needs, that we would bring them to you, Father God. We just thank you. We give you glory. In Jesus' name. We hope you've enjoyed this inspirational message. Please email questions, comments, and booking information for John to mail at johnlongwell.com. To see the full range of creative works, including books, inspirational messages, music, art, and web development content, please log on to www.johnlongwell.com.
Thank you for listening, and may God's blessings be yours in abundance.